The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Many of our listeners have been upset with me. You were not at all pleased that I spoke about the false belief that one can have all of your sins, the past, forgiven and then live as you'd like. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that he came to bless us, to turn our hearts toward him, to bless us from turning us away from our sin. I'm not here to please people. I do this broadcast day by day, for only one purpose, and that is to secure your salvation and to cause you to walk with Jesus in such a manner that you can be fruitful for the kingdom of God. That's why I'm here. I'm not here to give you a general knowledge of the Christian faith. I'm not here to teach you some wonderful new information that you've never had before. No, I want to see a dramatic change in your life. I want to see you filled with the power, the fire of the Holy Spirit. So I come to give you that understanding of the ways of God that will equip you to walk in holiness I'm going to share with you today as a follow-up to yesterday's broadcast. Yesterday's broadcast was the final transaction. Today I'm going to share with you the final transaction for Reese Howells. Reese Howells was written about in the book, Reese Howells, The Intercessor by Norman Grubb. Now, this book refers to a time in the early 1900s. This book was prepared around 1928. This man, Reese Howells, was used mightily by God in ministry, in revival. It is the single most influential book in my life outside of the scriptures. I'm going to share... His story, I've shared this before, but it's a story I go back to in my own life time after time. Now, one of the things you may say about this account given by Norman Grubb is that it's too quick, it's too clean. And that is true. It's not a full picture. A much fuller picture is given of this experience of Reese Howells in his own writing when he says, in all these experiences, the Lord had a twofold purpose, the blessing of the needy and the transformation of his servant. The Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, ghost meaning holy guest, took me through grade after grade He said, the process of changing one's nature, replacing the self-nature with the divine nature, 
was a very slow and bitter process. It was daily dying, showing forth the life of Christ. But that life was the life of a victim. Christ was the greatest victim on one side of the cross, but the greatest victor on the other. The daily path was the way of the cross. Every selfish motive and every selfish thought was at once dealt with by the Holy Spirit. In my boyhood days, the strictest man I knew was my schoolmaster. But how often I said that the Holy Spirit was a thousand times more strict. The schoolmaster could only judge judge by actions. But the Holy Spirit was judging by the motive. One evening, for instance, Reese and his friend were both to speak in the open air. The friend preached first, and the Holy Spirit so used him that Mr. Howells began to wonder how he could ever preach after him. This grew into a thought of jealousy. No one knew it, he said, but that night the Holy Spirit whipped me and humbled me to the dust. He showed me the ugliness of it and how the devil would take advantage of such a thing to damage the souls of those people. I never saw a thing I hated more than that, and I could have cursed myself for it. Didn't you come out to the open air for those souls to be blessed, he asked? And if so, what difference does it make to whom I bless them? He told me to confess the sin to my friend, and if he ever found it in me again, I would have to make a public confession. From that day on, I have not dared to cherish a thought of jealousy, because not once did the Holy Ghost go back on his word to me. Whatever warning of punishment he had given me, if I disobeyed, I would have to pay the full penalty. A person might think it was a life of bondage and fear. It would be to the flesh. But to the new man in Christ, it was a life of fullest liberty. At first, I had a tendency to pity myself and to grumble at the penalty for disobedience. But as I saw that I must either lose this corrupt self here or bear the shame of it hereafter, I began to side with the Holy Spirit against myself and looked on the stripping as a deliverance rather than a loss. So don't understand what I'm going to read for you today as being something simple and quick. Yes, he entered in very quickly, but that was only the beginning of the stripping out of his very nature and replacing that with the nature of God. This is a desperate need in the American church today. We are an apostate people. I want you to listen as I share this with you, please. The question came, have you been quickened by Christ? Have you been raised up to sit with him in heavenly places. Yes, I know I've been quickened, but I've not been raised up with Christ to that place of power. And the moment he said that, he saw the glorified Lord. 
as really as I'd seen the crucified Christ and the risen Christ. I saw the glorified Christ. And the same voice I'd heard in the train said to me, Would you like to sit there with him? There is a place for you. I saw myself raised up with him. I knew now what it meant to be glorified. I saw him as John did in Patmos, and I was dazzled like the Apostle Paul. When he reveals a thing, it is exactly as it is. It is not imagination. All that night I was in the presence of God and my glorified Savior. There's nothing in nature refined enough to describe it. I saw men as walking trees. The next morning, Mr. Hopkins spoke about the Holy Spirit. He made it plain that he is a person with all the faculties of a person, exactly like the Savior. He has intelligence, love, a will of his own, and as a person, before he comes to live in a man, he must be given full possession of his body. As he spoke, Reese said, the Holy Spirit appeared to me, and I knew him to be the one who had spoken to me the day before and shown me that place of splendor and glory into which natural eyes can never look. It never dawned on me before that the Holy Spirit was a person exactly like the Savior, and that he must come and dwell in flesh and blood. In fact, the church knows more about the Savior who was only on the earth 33 years than about the Holy Spirit who's been here for 2,000 years. I'd only thought of him as an influence coming on the meeting, and that was what most of us in the revival thought. I'd never seen that he must live in bodies as the Savior lived in his on the earth. The meeting with the Holy Spirit was just as real to Reese Howells as his meeting with the Savior those years before. I saw him as a person apart from flesh and blood. And he said to me, As the Savior had a body, so I dwell in the cleansed temple of the believer. I am a person. I am God. And I am come to ask you to give your body to me that I may work through it. I need a body for my temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 But it must belong to me without reserve, for two persons with different wills can never live in the same body. Will you give me yours? Romans 12, the first verse. But if I come in, I must come in as God. And you must go out. Colossians 3, verses 2 and 3. I shall not mix myself with you. He made it very plain that he would never share my life. I saw the honor he is offering to indwell me. But there were many, many things very clear to me, and I knew he wouldn't keep one of them. These were dear things. The change he would make was very clear. It meant every bit of my fallen nature was to go to the cross, and he would bring in his own life and his own nature. It was to be an unconditional surrender. From the meeting, Reese went out into a field where he cried his heart out. 
because, as he said, I, I had received a death sentence as really as a prisoner before the court. I'd lived in my body for 26 years. Could I easily give it up? Who would give up his life to another in an hour? Why does a man struggle when death comes if it's so easy to die? I knew that the only place fit for the old nature was on the cross. Paul makes that very plain in Romans, the sixth chapter. But once this is done in reality, it is done forever. I could not run into this. I intended to do it, but oh, the cost. I wept for days. I lost seven pounds in weight just because I saw what he was offering me. How I wished I'd never seen it. One thing he reminded of was that he'd only come to take what I'd already promised the Savior, not in part, but in whole. Since he died for me, I had died in him, and I knew that the new life was his and not mine. That had been clear in my mind for three years. So he had only come to take what was his own. Everything he told me appealed to me. It was only a question of the loss there would be in doing it. I didn't give my answer in a moment. He didn't want me to. <clears throat> it took five days to make the decision, days which were spent alone with God. Like Isaiah, I saw the holiness of God, he said, and seeing him I saw my own corrupt nature. It wasn't sins that I saw, but nature touched by the fall. I was corrupt to the core. I knew I had to be cleansed. I saw that there is as much difference between the Holy Spirit and myself as between light and darkness. Nothing is more real to me than the process I went through for the next week. The Holy Spirit went on dealing with me, exposing the root of my nature, which was self. You can only get out of a thing what is in its root. Sin was canceled. And it wasn't sin he was dealing with, it was self. That thing which came from the fall. He was not going to take any superficial surrender. He put his finger on each part of my self-life, and I had to decide in cold blood he would never take a thing away until I gave my consent. Then the moment I gave it, some purging took place. Isaiah 6, 5-7 And I could never touch that thing again. It was not saying I was purged and the things still have a hold on me. It was a breaking, the Holy Spirit taking control. Day by day, dealing went on. He was coming in as God, and I had lived as a man. And what is permissible to an ordinary man, he told me, will never be permissible to you. This experience was the crisis which was followed by the process of sanctification during which the Holy Spirit, on the basis of his initial surrender, step by step replaced the self-nature with his own divine nature. 
First, there was the love of money, that root of evil which had formerly taken Reese to America. The Lord told him that he would take out of his nature all taste for money and any ambition for the ownership of money. I had to consider what that meant. Money would be no more to me than it was to John the Baptist or to the Savior. To an extent, this was dealt with in my new birth, but now the Holy Spirit was getting at the root. He was dealing with something that lasted a whole day. And by the evening, his attitude towards money had entirely changed. Then there was the fact that he would never have the right to make a home. I saw that I could never give my life to another person to live to that one alone. Could the Savior have given his life and attention to one person instead of to a lost world? Well, neither could the Holy Spirit. He took plenty of time to show me exactly what that life would mean. He would live through me for the world. Was I willing for that? Among other things that was dealt with was ambition. How could he have any if the Holy Spirit came in? The way the Lord showed it to him was like this. Supposing he had a mission in town and another mission opened in the same place. If there was jealousy between the two missions and it was better for the town to have only one, then it would be his which have to be closed. Or suppose that he and another man should apply for the same job, he would have to let the other man have it. Or if he was earning 12 shillings a day and another man with a family was earning less, the spirit could tell him to give his better job to that man. He saw that the Holy Spirit in ways like that, taking the place of the other and suffering instead of the other. Yes, he was willing for that. On the fifth day, his reputation was touched. As he was thinking of men of the Bible who were full of the Holy Spirit, particularly John the Baptist, the Lord said to him, Then I may live through you the kind of life I live through him, a Nazarite, clothed in camel's hair, living in the desert, Even in this, or what might be its modern equivalent, a real decision had to be made. If I live my life in you, and that is the kind of life I choose, you cannot stop me, was the Lord's word on it. As the Savior was despised, he must must be willing also to be despised. By Friday night, each point had been faced. He knew exactly what he was being offered. The choice between temporal or eternal gain. The Spirit summed the issue up for him. On no account will I allow you to cherish a single thought of self. And the life I live in you will be 100% for others. You will never be able to save yourself any more than the Savior could when he was on earth. Now, are you willing? And Reese was to give a final answer. That night a friend said to him, 
If some of us come over after the meeting, will you tell us of your position in Christ? At once the Spirit of God challenged him. How can you do that? You've seen the position of the overcomers, but you have not entered into it. I've been dealing with you for five days. You must give me your decision by six o'clock tonight, and remember, you must go out. On no account will I allow you to bring in a cross current. Where I send you, you will go. What I say to you, you will do. It was the final battle of the will. I asked him for more time. But he said, you must not have a minute after six o'clock. When I heard that, it was exactly as if a wild beast was roused in me. You give me free will, I answered, and now you force me to give it up? I do not force you, he replied. But for three years, have you not been saying that you are not your own, that you wanted to give your life back to the Savior as completely as he gave it for you? Ah, I climbed down in a second. The way I had said it was an insult. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I said to him. I didn't mean what I said. You're not forced to give up your will, he said. But at six o'clock, I will take your decision. After that, you will never get another chance. It was my last offer, my last chance. I saw that throne in Revelation 3, 2, and all of my future for eternity going. I said, please forgive me. I want to do it. Once more, the question came, are you willing? It was 10 minutes to six. I wanted to do it, but I could not. Your mind is keen when you're tested. And in a flash, it came to me, how can self be willing to give up self? Five minutes to six came. I was afraid of those last five minutes. I could count the ticks of the clock. And then the Spirit said to me, If you can't be willing, will you like, would you like me to help you? Are you willing to be made willing? Ah, take care, the enemy whispered, when a stronger person than yourself is on the other side. To be willing to be made willing is just the same as being willing. As I was thinking upon that point, I looked at the clock. It was one minute to six. I bowed my head, and I said, Lord, I am willing. Within an hour, the third person of the Godhead had come in. He gave Reese that word in Hebrews 10.19, having therefore boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Immediately, said Reese, I was transported into another realm within the sacred veil where the Father, the Savior, and the Holy Spirit live. There I heard God speaking to me, and I have lived there ever since. When the Holy Spirit enters, he comes in to abide forever. To the blood of Jesus be the glory. How I adored the grace of God. It was God who goes so far as to give us repentance. 
It was God who helped me to give up my will. There are some things he had asked for during the week, but I was I was able to give them because I was the master of them. But when he asked me to give up myself and my will, I found I could not until he pulled me through. Now, if you remember yesterday's broadcast, this is what was meant in that amazing story of Jacob fighting with Jesus all night. When finally all Jacob could do was cling to Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, and say to him, Lord, I will not let you go till you bless me. This is what Reese is saying when he said, Lord, I'm willing. An eyewitness tells us that no words can describe the meeting in the house that night. The glory of God came down. Reese started singing the chorus, There's power. Power. Wonder-working power. In the blood. They couldn't stop singing it for two hours. From nine until 2.30 a.m. It was nothing but the Holy Spirit speaking things I'd never dreamed of. Exalting, lifting up Jesus. When he awoke the next morning, he said, I realized that the Holy Spirit had come in to abide forever. The feeling I had was that He brought me to the banqueting table and his banner over me was love. It's impossible to describe the floods of joy that followed. Reese House was not a person who was given to public speaking. He was quite naturally retiring and quiet. But when the Holy Spirit entered, he loosed his tongue and brought in his own boldness. There was a praise meeting that morning in the convention tent with about a thousand people present, including over 200 pastors. The first person Reese saw there was his own minister, and if anything could have stopped him speaking, it was the fact of his presence. But during the meeting, Reese stood up and told them clearly and calmly, that he was calling them to witness that the Holy Spirit, who had entered the apostles on the day of Pentecost, had entered into him and would produce similar results. The effect was so great that during the next week, when crowds had gathered to hear the messages from a famous speaker, literally hundreds came to ask Reese how the Holy Spirit had entered him. It was the first stream of those promised rivers, which, as Jesus said, flow out of those in whom the Spirit of God dwells. I've just shared with you the story of Reese Howells, the intercessor, as the Holy Spirit came and entered into him. I want the Holy Spirit to come and enter into you and into me in the same manner. There's a there's a scripture I want to read for you this morning. It's 
It's found in First Peter. And we're going to return in depth to First Peter or Second Peter tomorrow and then next week after Thanksgiving. This is Second Peter, the first chapter, the first verse. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Now, if we look carefully at this question of righteousness or innocence, you'll find that the Apostle Paul speaks about this righteousness. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because there is a righteousness revealed from God. Up to that point, righteousness had come via the law. But now, a righteousness was coming from God. Righteousness via the law, we can never be made righteous. We're always going to be sinning under the law. We can't be made righteous by the law. But this righteousness that comes flowing out of our Father, out of Jesus, this righteousness makes us truly righteous. It's not imputed righteousness. Under the law, it was declared righteous. But under the new covenant, we are made righteous for reality. That's the gospel of Jesus. Now listen, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Savior. Now I'm going to talk about this tomorrow. But there are two words for knowledge in the Greek. One is gnosis, meaning a general knowledge. If you would ask me, do you know how an automobile engine works? I could tell you in a general way about the pistons, the valves. I could talk to you about the role that gasoline plays about the starter engine, the electric starter motor. I could talk to you about the brake cylinder. But that doesn't mean I know how to repair them. I don't have specific, detailed information that I know and the experience to know how to repair my car. Right now I'm having some car trouble. I'll go out and turn on the ignition and sometimes it will start and sometimes it won't start. It won't turn over. The battery's good. All the lights are on. It's either the the switch or the starter motor. I'm not sure which. It's intermittent so they can't repair it because they don't know what it is yet. I don't have the second word in the Greek for knowledge, and that is a very intimate, inner working, coordinated working, so that I would know exactly how to pull that starter out and how to replace it, or I would know how to replace the brake cylinder, or I would know how to do many things on my car. I don't have that knowledge. I have gnosis, but I don't have that intimate knowledge. When it says here, 
grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God. That's not gnosis. That's the intimate inner working, the practical application. And in this broadcast, I never try to give you the gnosis. I always am laboring, praying that I can give to you the inner working that allows you to go in with Jesus and have a dramatic change of heart and be empowered by the Spirit to do the work of God and to live a righteous life. This righteousness flows out of God himself, and it's a free gift. It's not by works. It's by grace. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through this inner working knowledge, this intimacy with the inner working of God's ways and of how you cooperate with those and how you, how you function with those. And then he says, his divine dunamis, the word we use for dynamite, his divine power, explosive power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And that word godliness literally means to worship rightly, rightly directed, a confession of absolute dependence upon God. Everything we need for life and how to walk with God in that intimate inner knowledge of the practical application so that we know how to pray and get our prayers answered. All of that has been given to us, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires or caused by lust. All that flows out of the natural man is lust. All that flows out of the natural heart is how can I use, how can I succeed, how can I prosper, how can I make money, how can I have that relationship, how can I succeed? It's all about me and how... But when we come to God, the inner knowledge, not secret knowledge, inner knowledge, that we're given by God through grace, through the precious promises of God, We participate in the divine nature by using these promises, standing by faith on them. This is not a do-it-yourself project. This is not a a self-help project. I know of people who've tried for years to be able to enter into righteousness, and they still have not been able to succeed. They keep going back to their sin. Why? Because the flow out of their heart is still about them. Self, lust, wicked desires. But through these incredibly 
great and precious promises. We've been given everything necessary to live a wonderful, happy, successful life so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So Reese Howells, in this story that I've shared with you today, he was confronted by the Holy Spirit. Right now, you're being confronted by the Holy Spirit. Are you willing for the Holy Spirit to come in? And are you willing to move out of your life? Are you willing to give up the gnosis struggle of general knowledge and become exceedingly intimate with Jesus in the ways of the Lord, in the ways of God? Are you willing to give up your life? Are you willing to move out of it and let Jesus move into it? Now, Christians today in our culture have a wonderful gnosis of God. It's a false gnosis because they've been taught lies. They've been taught that they can never leave their sin, that they're always going to be struggling, but not to worry, their sins have been forgiven, and so they're on their way to heaven. That's all a false gospel. It's not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is that we enter into Jesus and we give up ourselves. We give up our life to him. He takes over our life. Do you understand? And he takes over our life by our finding these great and precious promises of God and allowing these promises to function by faith, not by the law, not by trying to do better, not by white-knuckling it, but rather by dying. We die to it. We die to the old memories. I was awake this morning about three and immediately my mind began to be flooded with all of the the failures that I see in my life. And then seeing how the Lord has used these failures to isolate me, to put me in time out. And for a moment as I lay there, I felt like weeping. And then faith rose up in my heart. And I said, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. He has forgiven me for my sins. He has wiped them away. He's made me into a new person. And I rejoice in the power of the Holy Spirit that has totally changed me and put great compassion and love in my heart. 
I praise God that I don't go back to the same old, same old sins. They're gone. They've been taken from me. I've been purged by the presence of the blood of Jesus. Now, many of us can go back and spend a great deal of time ruminating over our past sins, over how we've been treated unjustly, how we have failed time after time in our service to Jesus. Characteristics. Can I tell you something? That is not a profitable pursuit of time. The only profitable pursuit of time is entering into Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to have full control of our hearts and our lives. I have so many griefs and sorrows, but I have put them away in Jesus. I'm living today. I'm not living yesterday. That's gone. I'm living today. And my heart is filled with the presence of God. And so I'm not living in fear. I face tomorrow. I've watched as the number of people listening, particularly on the internet, has just crashed and burned since I began to share this understanding that the gospel is not that our sins have been forgiven. It's that Jesus came to destroy all sin and to make us into new creatures. And a part of that is wiping away our past sins. But the wiping away of our past sins becomes real to us when we enter into Jesus and we give ourselves up in reality. And he comes in and abides in us. And if that is not yet your experience, and it's not yet my full experience, as evidenced by laying in my bed awake at 3 a.m. and having all of these thoughts come back to me. But the process is happening. It's slow and it's bitter. And that's why I'm saying, Jesus, I will not let you go until you bless me. The the blessing of Jesus is that he has turned us entirely away from ourselves and unto him and filled us with the Holy Spirit. I rejoice in this. My brother, my sister, I rejoice in this. This is what I'm thankful for this year at Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is two days away. I'm praising and worshiping and honoring his name because of what Jesus has done for me and in me as he brings me fully into himself. I'd like to pray with you. Lord Jesus, this may sound strange to many, But, Lord, it's you our heart's desire. We seek after you with all of our heart. And we're not able 
to make that final decision, but we are willing to make that final decision. And we will cling to you until you have blessed us and brought us fully into the power, the fire, the wholeness, the cleansing of the old nature completely gone by the power of your blood, Jesus. And so we say we will not let you go like Jacob until you bless us. Lord, come in mighty power. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, I'd be interested in your thoughts. If you listen to this later on the YouTube, shoot me a message. Is this good news for you? This is incredibly good news to me. And I'm rejoicing in it. I've been invited by a number of people to share Thanksgiving dinner. You know what? I'm going to have Thanksgiving dinner this year with Jesus. I'm going to sit at the table. And opposite me will be a table setting for Jesus. Because I just want Thanksgiving to be with Jesus this year. Oh, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for all of you. I'm thankful for people who love me and care about me. But it's Jesus who has truly loved me. So I'm going to celebrate Thanksgiving this year with Jesus. I have much to say to him and much to hear from him. Now, as we come to the end of the month, there are just a few days remaining. We're still about $1,700 short of having what we need to pay for radio this month. If you'd like to help, would you step in with a, a thank offering? And would you send it to me at the National Prayer Chapel? You'll find that information on the web nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll find the address there. You can also give online. And I welcome you to do that. I'd love to hear from you this time of year. I've been sending out many thank you notes. I may have missed some of you, but please forgive me. My late wife, Jan, used to write all the thank you notes. She made it look so easy. It's It's not so easy, but I am eternally grateful to those of you who sacrifice, who give tithes and offerings, who stand by me month after month after month after month. Thank you. And one one man and his wife, Peter, from out of state. He contacts me every month and says, Pastor, is there anything left that I can cover? He's walked with me as such a brother. He and Diana. Thank you, Peter and Diana. 
and then Twyla. And some of the others of you. Gail. I have a whole number of cards right here beside the desk. I keep them there to remind me of your love. Tom, amazing. I wish I could name everybody, but I can't. I'd like to meet you. I pray that one day you'll make a decision to visit the National Prayer Chapel. And if you're out of state, subscribe, please, to our to our YouTube channel. And put notes. Tell me how you're growing in Jesus. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I love you all. God bless you and have a wonderful, wonderful, happy Thanksgiving with Jesus and maybe with your family and with friends. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.